out of the frying pan and into the fire. Welcome to this a special edition of Eat Sleep Suplex Retweets, the power trip here on our Patreon channel, where today we'll be reviewing the recent pay-per-view from NWA at NWA Into the Fire. I'm Stephen Wilson, and today I'm joined by a man who is only a first-degree black belt in Mongolian karate. <laughs> it is Scott McLeod. Scott, how you doing? I'm very well, and I'm, I'm working up to the three down. Hopefully, I can only hope wish to be as good as the question mark. Well, how long have you been training for? <laughs> only two weeks. Only two weeks. Well, give it another week, and you might make it close to the third, third degree, or third bet, or third stripe, whatever he calls it. Uh, so yeah, we are going to be reviewing Into the Fire. It's a special edition of the Power Trip. Uh, this uh, particular review is free on our Patreon channel as part of some specials that we're doing on the on this channel over the holiday period. But if you enjoy what you're hearing, you can subscribe to our Patreon channel on any of the upper tiers, the four dollar, six dollar tier, where you can get so much more content from us at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. And don't forget as well, we do also have our free mainstream it's available on all good podcasting sites uh, so spotify itunes or any other podcast sites you get your content from and we're also on social media facebook twitter instagram at suplex retweet uh, right scott before we get into the into the card uh, two things i want to kind of talk about first of all uh, first things first uh, this was the debut on commentary of the former wade barrett and Stu bennett on the nwa program mm-hmm. uh, what did you think of him on this pay-per-view I really enjoyed uh, Wade Barrett. I've only seen a little bit of his commentary here and there in places like Defiant, but I thought I liked the fact that he wasn't like your stereotypical heel commentator and that, oh, I'm just, I'm supporting this person simply because they're a heel. He, he seemed very balanced, more often than not, because while he would try and like pick up the, the heels and like, oh, you're saying this, but also, you know, this person's done this in the past, but he would kind of give like some people like the faces or do likes of Nick Aldis. Mm-hmm. And all that, like the Coke Cabana, he would give them their due. So, and he brought a lot of like, he brought a lot of insight from his years in the ring. Yeah, he was. He seemed very knowledgeable. I think he's got. He's 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 a guy that I would I would like to see him wrestle still because I still think he could probably go. But he's kind of like Samoa Joe in a way that he's great on the commentary. So you kind of you'll use him on that while you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's still got a lot to add either in ring, but also he's got a lot to add on commentary because. He does seem, as you said, very knowledgeable, so I'm not in any rush to see him back in the ring if he doesn't want to be, because it just means we get more of his commentary, which isn't a bad thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, another thing as well from this show that was a bit different from our normal uh, NWA Power shows, uh, entrance music. Full mm-hmm. on entrances. Uh, did you think this was a good touch to add a bit extra feel to the pay-per-view? Yeah, it made it feel big, because you had people coming down from the through the crowd. The crowd looked a bit more... I don't know if it was the light in our way it was, but it seemed like they, were, they, made, they managed to get more people in for the pay-per-view than they did for Power because they, set, they filmed it in the same studio, so it made it feel big. You had the end to the fire posters, and it seemed every time somebody who was on one of the posters came out, they would immediately touch the poster that they were on for some reason. It's, <laughs> the, it made... it's the NWA equivalent of pointing to the WrestleMania site. It pretty much is, yeah. Uh, pointing um, to my face. <laughs> Look, that's me, that is. <laughs> yeah, I think it made it feel a lot... made it feel big because you don't usually get it. Usually you see someone coming out and then you get the reaction, whereas you actually get that pop when the people hear the music. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I thought it was a nice touch. Like I said, it made it feel a wee bit more different than what we kind of see on the weekly TV show, where it was just guys, they just come out the curtain straight away. So, no, it was a, it was a bit different. And I, I did like uh, a lot of the music as well. It was well fit into the respective uh, wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll we'll get into the action now. So there were seven matches on this particular card. The, the show started off with uh, Eli Drake taking on Ken Anderson. Uh, Scott, this was... Anderson. Uh, Anderson, oh yeah. So what did you make of this match? It was quite a, a technical match to start off with as opposed to the kind of hard-hitting style that we were maybe going to expect at the beginning. Yeah, it was good to see both guys actually get in the ring like for a proper singles match because they've mainly been around ringside and people's corners or just like cutting promos. So it was good to see them actually in the ring. They were very evenly matched for the most part. I like mm-hmm. the fact that the finish kind of came out of nowhere with Drake kind of sneaking the win. And you could almost see hints of Anderson like not being a straight up face. And he had to pull out some like heelish tactics at times. And mm-hmm. we've seen something more a bit slightly more heelish possibly from him later on. Mm-hmm. Also I like that Eli Drake isn't as much as people cheer him, he's clearly a bad guy because at first he couldn't really beat Anderson until he used the ropes as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it kind of teases him kind of diff on Anderson. You kind of notice that a wee bit at the start where he kind of did the whole fake throwing the T-shirt into the crowd type thing, mm-hmm. which is a quite stereotypical of a heel um, wrestler. But as you mentioned briefly, like later on in the night after uh, Eli Drake got the win in the match, uh, he came back out to do a promo packet, a promo bit saying uh, all the sit once made somebody to prove that they can step up, and I've just done that by beating Ken Anderson. And then Ken Anderson took him out and brutally attacked him uh, during this segment. Uh, did you? Could you see this being a bit of a double turn? Uh, possibly, because both guys can like both men seem more of tweeners in my mm-hmm. opinion because they can try to click the best of them, but they still get great reactions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that uh, the crowd were more into Drake than they were Anderson, though. Yeah, I think they're noticing that. That's why they, I think they put Anderson to be the one that attacked Drake later on. Yeah, I, I, you can kind of. I mean, you can understand why they kind of like Eli Drake, even though he has that cocky aspect of it. He's got that kind of natural charisma. Well, as uh, mm-hmm. Anderson, Anderson, while he is charismatic, has always been better suited to being the bad guy as opposed to the face, and he's throughout his entire career. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a, a, a win for Drake. Did you think that was the right decision? Yeah, I think between the two of them, Drake's going to be the one challenging for one of the two top titles, most likely the world title at some point. So I think giving him the win was a good idea. And then he kept a bit of credibility and entering a bit strong with the attack later on. And I can tell this is leading to like a rematch later on. I believe they have a no DQ match on power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I haven't seen who won that yet. Yeah, the, 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 the rematch between the two did take place on the, the Fallout NWA Power, which we'll be reviewing on one of our next episodes of the Power Trip. So, moving on from that match, we then had the debut of Tasha Steeles with a Z. Absolutely. She took on Thunder Rosa. Uh, Scott, um, what was your knowledge of uh, Tasha Steeles going into this? Little to none, really. Like, I was really, I didn't really know much about her. I just knew, well, they just announced it very last minute before me and Ross did our preview. 
we took to to double check the card and they said, oh yeah, now Thunder Rose is in a singles match now. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't mind Tessa Steels because I don't really know her, so I can't really make too much uh, judgment on her. You cut mm-hmm. a decent promo to start, which I think was a good idea to give her the mic because they allowed people to cut promos in front of the crowd in between matches. So it was a good opportunity for her to showcase people like who she is if they don't know her already. Mm-hmm. But I think the result going the way it did was the right decision for Thunder Rosa because she's in the Evolve Millionaire and also they've got all the attention on her because of that documentary about her. Yeah, she um, the crowd were really into Thunder Rosa, I think, from the very moment that she came down from the from the from the top of the stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could clearly tell like she, they were really into her and it wasn't a very long match, but I think it accomplished what it needed to showcase this newer person in the division, but it gave Rosa a much needed win. Yeah, I think that's uh, what we've kind of seen is they've got some good female wrestlers on the roster, but it's not got a great <laughs> amount of depth. So adding some yeah. like Natasha Steeles uh, only will make it better as the weeks go on. But at the same time, you've got Thunder Rosa, who in the weeks that they've actually ran the shows, the 10 uh, episodes of Power before this, has probably been one of these standout members of not just the women's division, but the entire roster. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's good that they're bringing in new people like Natasha Steeles, because me and Ross were talking about on the preview that it's hard to have an actual women's championship if you've not got a, full, a more of a depth to a roster of women that can challenge her for it. So the more women you bring in, the better. And like you can actually start to defend that title more frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also had the, after the post-match angle where uh, Ashley Vox came down to try and uh, attack and get revenge on Thunder Rosa, but ended up getting herself injured herself. Did you, what would you, what did you make of this kind of piece of booking in terms of you think it was done to kind of further something between these two ladies or you think it was just to kind of a way to help introduce the talent that would come out later on in the women's tag match I think it was to build a bit of entry towards the women's tag match because I think it was maybe a bit lacking because of the way place of Alison Kay has been resented recently mm-hmm. and I think Ashley Vox as I said before she was kind of just paired with Alison Kay because she was the only other I think, available women on the roster at the time. Because when she first got introduced, she was more produced as a woman who would basically put other women over. So I think it was to give her more of a story, like she gets injured and eventually she'll come back to get revenge after being taken out. And also, like, it built intrigue for the time. I was wondering, like, is she going to compete despite the fact she's injured or is Alison Kay going to have to go out in a handicap match? Yeah, definitely. But I think, uh, I, like, as with the first match, a very... The correct result in front of Rosa getting a comprehensive win here. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up in the third match on the card, we had Trevor Murdoch taking on uh, the question mark. <laughs> oh, I uh, love this. Oh, I mean, Scott, before we get into the match, let's talk about what happened before the match with uh, the question mark and Adam Stevens. Some fantastic bit of uh, development and story between these two. Yeah, definitely. The whole the introduction on American soil of the Mongolian national anthem and the flag and also the great photo out there somebody took from the crowd of Dave Marquez putting his hand over his heart during the national anthem, so in the correct respect. And it's not, now, it's not the hand over his heart, it was the hand over his lung. <laughs> the, hand, the hand was the other way around. Alright. So... Uh, this whole like introduction, the background that they're actually talking about Mongrovian 
the commentator saying, are we going to put that flag up with the other ones in here in the studio? Mm-hmm. Which I would love to see happen. Yeah, it was a very, it was a nice bit of a backstory a wee bit to kind of the, the question mark character other than just him being this kind of nomad type character. And it's it's quite, it's good that we're seeing more layers as well to, to the character of Aaron, Steve, Aaron Stevens just to show how good he actually is as a storyteller. Yeah, like this is, it is very like silly, this little story and the whole thing with the karate thing and the whole idea of a uh, question mark taking Aaron Stevens almost under trying to teach him this, but like they're just going with it, they're not afraid to do something that will entertain people. And I also love the idea, like Aaron uh, Stu Bennett on commentary giving all this backstory to, oh yeah, he's already been training for three weeks, he's already a three Dan black belt, whereas the question mark is a ten Dan black belt. So like Stu Bennett presents himself as the expert of Mongolian karate. Ah. Uh-huh. Brilliant. Uh, in terms of the match itself, for Trevor Murdoch's got the very, the major development I saw from this one was we saw uh, Trevor Murdoch kicking out of the most devastating move in professional wrestling in the Mongolian spike. I know, fucking Trevor Murdoch, so unprofessional, he won't even lay down for the most protective move in professional wrestling. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it was quite because they've kind of they've built the last couple of weeks saying that this move is absolutely devastating, and then on the first pay per view, somebody actually kicks out of it. Which is weird. And then he had to resort to the double spike, which you think you would, no offence to Trevor Murdoch, but you think they would save that for, like, if the question marks in a title match or against somebody else, maybe higher up the card rather than pulling out against Trevor Murdoch, who's kind of had some mixed success so far. Yeah, de- uh, definitely. But what is, during the match as well, there was a lot more, this match was more about kind of development of the question mark character I think rather than the actual match itself where we saw it towards the end of the match where Trevor Murdoch would disrespect the Mongrovian flag which led to this kind of anger from the question mark I know, the Mongrovian flag should never touch the ground, does he not know that? Well he knows that now because he got an absolute battering at the end of it mm-hmm. uh, I did love also there was a, a so called student of the question mark holding the Mongrovian flag on the outside and he had a question mark, like, style mask on the outside. I want that to be more of a thing. I want, like, random, like, students, i.e. just randomers and masks, just getting involved in the question mark matches, like the Creepers for the Dark Order. I was going to say, it's like a better version of the Dark Order. It's like upgraded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I liked, actually, as well, when you mentioned that one, how they mentioned, they talked about the fact that the question mark its symbol itself was like a symbol of Mongrovia. Mm-hmm. Which is like he's he's actually he's respecting his culture by wearing the question mark. <laughs> yeah, I just love like the two random like I can't remember, make it whether the two animal symbols on the either side and just the rest of the flag is this massive question mark. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was a, it was a, it was what it did on the tin. Murdoch did a great job of putting over the question mark, even though he obviously kicked out the spike. But you think this is um, we'll see the question mark will develop a lot more in the coming yeah. weeks. Yeah, I hope so, because it could be easy to just for maybe this kind of one-note character that people really only cheer because he's kind of unusual, but I was happy to see that people were still like cheering him, because I thought it might have just been the crowd at the tapings, mm-hmm. but that, that particular taping where he debuted took to him, I was wondering if that would continue, but I think it's a lot of the same people who came back for the pay-per-view because they were so into what's happened on power, so I'm hoping to see the support for the question mark continue, and I'm hoping to see more of this so like well, I see, I see vignettes of Aaron Stevens training in some sort of dojo with the question mark and all these students wearing question mark style masks. You know, you can really build the background and like 
you can really take this literally wherever you want to go. Yeah, it was, and it was good as well that, um, as you've mentioned in previous shows, that they've got that kind of Miz, Miz Dow type aspect to it. Yes. Where they boo for Stevens but cheer for the question mark and side by side pretty much. It's a, it's, it's a simple method, but it does work well. Yeah, and I do, I do love how Stevens now calls them Sensei Question. Ah, oh, it's great. It's, 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 a, it's a weird character, but it works. Yeah. Uh, moving on now to our fourth match on the card, which was for the NWA World Tag Team Championships. It was our favourite team, the Rock and Roll Express, taking on the wild cards in Royce Isaacs and Thomas Latimer. Uh, first thing, obviously, of note, Scott, uh, both teams didn't come out alone to this match. No, they had uh, Kingston and Homicide in the Rock and Roll Express's corner. And then the Dawson's and the Wildcards corner, which I'll be honest with you, Stephen. Out of everything on this show, the only thing I have a problem with is just this match in general. Uh, go on, so what's, what particular do you dislike about this match? Yeah, well, first off, the whole idea of like, I like the idea of like them having people in their corner, but they didn't really do much with it until the very end. And even then, they didn't do a lot. There was just a brief scuffle, which you barely even saw. They were just focusing on what was happening in the ring. While this is all happening at ringside, the match only went five minutes, which I think mm-hmm. was a bit too short because the only two matches I looked up after this were the only two matches on this whole card that went more than 10 minutes were the two like last matches, the national title match and the two or three falls matches, mm-hmm. which I think that may just be a new thing for the NW. They want to give the, the main matches like the proper time, but like there was only, it only went five minutes. The wild cards were made to look very ineffective. And I still don't think it's a good idea that the, the Rock and Roll Express are still the, the NWA Tag Team Champions in mm. 2019 and going into 2020. Well, you mentioned on the, the last show uh, how ineffective you thought the old Rock and Roll Express finisher double drop kick was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this one, it was so ineffective that they decided to kind of hide this from the on-screen camera for the finish of this actual match. We never actually, actually seen the move get hit. I mean, Ricky Morton did pull out a Canadian Destroyer, which looked a lot more effective than the one he hit at full gear because he didn't need much assistance for this one. But even that, though, like, it's cool as the Roman Express are. I just, like, it's good to see them back. But I think it's a case of, like we said before, nostalgia going a bit too far. Like, yeah, have them won the titles on power, but if, you should, they should have just dropped them back to the wild cards on preview because it would have made the wild cards seem like. It would have got more heat on them because they cut short this like feel good comeback of the Warhol Express, and then they could have maybe carried on to a rematch on Power, but instead they just chose for whatever reason to keep the belts on the Rock and Roll Express. Yeah, uh, the crowd were really into Rock and Roll Express, so that's one thing you yeah. have to say. But at the same time, as it's, it's two guys in their early sixties, mm-hmm. you know they can only really go like for so long with these titles, even with the like the schedule the NWA like Tafins are. So, like, eventually they're going to need to drop the titles soon. And other than Homicide and uh, Homicide and Kingston and the Dawsons, you've not got many other tag teams left. So, you're really hindering build an actual roster to give these guys this reign. Yeah, I wasn't hundred percent sure on the two teams coming out with them. I thought it kind of it made them look a bit inferior. Mm-hmm. Which, when you have a division of four teams, you don't really want half of them to look a bit naff. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really see the point in them coming out. Like, anyway, I like 
they came out like during the match, so, like with the Dawson's coming in, then you could have brought uh, Kingston Homicide to like, make the save, but the idea of them just being out there for the whole match, like you said, just made it seem even more pointless. Mm-hmm. Uh, one positive I could take on it, I really, I really like the wildcard's gear. Yeah, I'm liking the fact they've got proper like matching gear and they had actual like wildcard like merch on when they came down. They made are finally starting to feel like a proper tag team. Because the whole reason, like they were just thrown together at the Crockett Cup, and it still felt like a throwing together team since. But it's nice to see them feeling like an actual tag team that has like similar gear. I I, I never liked that whole kilt type thing that Brian wears. Well, they never explain why he does it though. He started wearing it in ICW. I remember him wearing it then, and I never actually understood why he actually wore it as his gear. And then he's just kept wearing it for like the last two years. I know, it just became like, oh, this is just what I wear. Like, there's no reason for it. No, but no, uh, the Rock and Roll Express got the win and the nostalgia continues. Uh, before we go into the next match, Scott, just a brief mention of an uh, announcement made by Stu Bennett on commentary. The return of the TV title, title to NWA. Hmm. Yeah, I had I heard about this before I actually watched the show because I think I've seen it on social media somewhere. And something I'm very happy with is the fact that they're keeping the old design of the television title because that is a very good-looking title because other than the £10 of gold, the main title in the NWA, the rest of the championships they've got right now, design-wise, don't look the best. I mean, I mean the tag titles are okay, but the women's title is much too small. It looks like a toy. Mm-hmm. The national title is like a piece of leather. They super-glued some plates to, mm-hmm. but the TV title with the silver and the red going through it, that looks like a... Uh, it's still got that old school look that still kind of holds up today, much like the ten pounds of gold. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with that. In the 24th, January 24th is their next week, which they announce is Hard Times, mm. and that's where the champion's going to be crowned. Well, uh, they announced on the Fallout Power that there's going to be a tournament to decide who's going to win. That's got a lot of the guys on the roster, and the, the kind of mm. big the catch to it is that all the matches in the tournament. Have a time limit of six minutes and five seconds. Six oh five, the start time of power in America. Which I think is a very interesting idea. I think because well, it's, it creates more sense of urgency because the matches on power don't usually go that long anyway. So you got this kind of fast pace of guys trying to get the win within the time limit because if the thing goes to a time limit draw, both guys are eliminated. And I assume if they keep the time limit when the when the title's champion's been crowned. And I'm assuming that means if it's a draw, the champion retains. So it creates a sense of urgency for like the challengers. But like if you've got a heel champion, you can have them try and uh, like waste time in the matches, just yeah. so, they, so like, the time limit runs out and they retain the title. Yeah, it's a bit different. So can mm-hmm. I don't give my bad credit for trying something different? Yeah, and I think this is kind of the time to bring back a TV title, especially like for someone like the NWA, because I think I've heard people talking about somewhere like. AEW bringing it back but I think it makes more sense for the NWA to do it and plus like if you're going to do the whole thing of it being defended every week like like Powers are one of the best shows weekly going at the moment and I think it would add that little bit extra having a guaranteed like title match every week Yeah definitely so it'll be good to see how it goes on in the next few weeks with the tournament between now and the next pay-per-view to decide the champion Uh the next match on the card was the women's tag match that we talked about early on. It was Molina and Marty Bell taking on the women's champion, Alison Kay, and not Ashley Vox. We found that she was not going to be able to make it, but instead her replacement was 
the queen of the trailer park herself. It was ODB. <laughs> uh, Scott, what did you make of uh, ODB's debut here in the NWA? Uh, yeah, I was very surprised. Like, because I remember she popped up at Double, sorry, uh, All Out in the Casino Battle Royal, I think. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't really heard much of her because I know she's not been in Impact for a long time. So it was interesting to see her here. Like, I'm. Um, I'm interested to see where she goes with because if this is a one-time thing or if she's going like, to come back. But it wasn't something I was expecting because I was expecting probably Vo- either Vox to come out with like her arm heavily taped so then she would take a lot of damage in the match or they were going to make Kay look like the underdog champion and have her go two-on-one because they had Kay come out but then they had Melina and Mike Bell come down to make it seem like, oh yes, it's a handicap match and then Dave Marquez gets on and says, oh no, wait, we've been informed she has a partner. And then it came ODB, who I'll be honest, if you had to, if you asked me while watching the show, I guess who it was going to be, I probably wouldn't have guessed her. Nah, I definitely wouldn't have guessed her. You know, I mean, uh, I always thought she was a, she was a good pop when she mm-hmm. was in TNA. She was quite a, a fun character to watch. Yeah, uh, always a and a good person to have on the roster, kind of just underneath the the top tier. Mm-hmm. And if you want somebody for backup, you know, is there many better? Yeah. I mean, she looks. She has a look of someone who I think would fit in well with the NWA, like back in the day. Even though they weren't really back in the day, the NWA didn't really focus a lot on women's wrestling. But I think for this division, she's a woman who she's been a former women's champion places like TNA. So if someone like Melina wins the title from Alison K, I could see ODB being a credible enough challenge to her for that. Uh, what did you think of the actual? Uh the finish to the match where it was um, Alison Kay and ODB going over the team of Molina and Marty Bell was it was it quite surprising given how they've kind of built up this whole uh, Molina Marty Bell Thunder Rosa type trio in the last few weeks. Yeah, it seemed weird because I was expecting more interference on behalf like Thunder Rosa getting involved, which we didn't really see. Molina wasn't in the match for very much really at all because. I think I'm wondering maybe if they're either saving some of the physicality between her and Alison Kay for maybe a singles match, or maybe they're thinking Lena's actually not been in the ring a lot in the last year or so, so they were keeping her like out of the ring and letting Marty Bell do most of the work. But the finish, I'm thinking, was a bit kind of clunky because you had people coming in and then having to awkwardly move it the way of other people doing their spots, and then the kind of TKO spot that ODB did didn't look exactly Chris like. She didn't get all her arm around the back of the head of Marty Bell as she was delivering the move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't the finest match on the card, I, I think it's fair to say. It wasn't the most uh, technical classic, you know? Yeah, it wasn't, I'm not saying it was a bad match, I'm just saying there were one or two things that didn't go quite, I don't think, to plan. Mm-hmm. Like, I would have avoided Alison Kay hitting her finish on Melina until some t- point down the line. And I would have thought that Alison Kay would have been the one getting the pin. But I think they thought because ODB is the big surprise, her getting the win would be a bigger like pop. Do you think that this the feud will continue between K and Molina and Co? Uh, yeah, think it's just an extra layer. Uh, I think this is just an extra layer to it because maybe now even if Ashley Vox has been taking it, maybe this is Alison K basically saying like I've got someone else who could possibly watch my back. And it seems weird now that they're just about. I've seen a little bit of what happened on Power this week. Because I was I enjoyed the into the fire so much, I immediately then went on a power because I couldn't get enough of the NWA. Mm-hmm. But it seems like they're almost teasing dissension with Marty Bell uh, in the group, which is seems a bit too early to do because yeah. they just brought in Melina. They just brought this group in, 
who I think just wait for one of them to get the title before then teasing essentially because it seems like um, Lee and Thunder Rose are on one page and Maribel's on the other so I think they'd be teasing that Maribel might get like kicked out at some point Yeah I would agree on that one I think it's quite early I mean I can I could kind of maybe see at the next pay-per-view the Hard Times one maybe a six-women tag match just to kind of keep awesome. it ticking over a bit longer I think that seems more like a power match because I think at some point you eventually need to have the women's title defended on pay-per-view because I don't think Kay's defended it on power since the show started because I know she's defended it in places like Ring of Honor since the Crockett Cup but I don't think she's defended it since power started Well she's not really been used a great deal at yeah. all in any way so she kind of needs to get some better development on the show mm-hmm. So um, that, that was a win as I said for Alison Kay and ODB uh, Moving on to our uh, second from last match we had the triple threat match for the national championship it was Colt Cabana defending against the team of Ricky Starks and Aaron Stevens with the question mark in tow. Uh, <laughs> I thought this was a very enjoyable triple threat match, Scott. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, definitely. This is probably my favourite match of the of the whole show. I like. I know I said that this match in the two or three, 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 three falls match were the ones that went over ten minutes. I think. They were making these two feel like the most like serious matches. Like these are the ones that had Dave Marquez in the ring to do the individual introductions. And like I really enjoyed this match because we had Aaron Stevens hiding behind a Christmas tree for a lot of it. And then whenever he did get offense, it was either because they snuck in behind somebody when they were down or he got the question mark to interfere on his behalf. So he was mm-hmm. playing that classic keel role. Or but other times it was just at Colt Caban and Ricky Starks just double teaming him and just I mean, basically him being a punching bag for the two. Yeah, I quite. I thought Arden Stevens played his role to perfection in this match as a kind of heel to the two faces. Uh, mm. The points, as you mentioned, the Christmas tree was some fantastic heel work. <laughs> uh, just hiding behind that. And as well, the points where he was utilising the third degree karate black belt <laughs> that he'd acquired to try and get the better of the two at the one time, only for the two of them to turn around and... Uh, Turn the, turn the tables on him, so to say. Yeah, and I like the fact that he actually, the start of his music, he had the hallelujah when he came out, because uh, I know that's that, that song is it's the one that WWE really can't incorporate, so he can use it, but then it went into his actual music, so I love that he kept that part of his character, at least from WWE, when he comes out in the robe. And the bits where he was hiding, you got a really good glimpse of what, if we did get the Ricky Starks, Colt Cabana singles match that we thought we were going to get, uh, we got a good glimpse of what that match would look like because these two worked really well together. Yeah, I mean, I thought that with Colt Cabana, I mean, everybody always says about him, he's a he's a comedy character, you know, he's the peak type of that type, type of gimmick. But when it needs to when it needs to go, he can go and he can do a very good technical match. Yeah, definitely. And they've, they've mentioned it on commentary like he can be serious when he needs to be. And I really loved the way the finish kind of lined up. How perfect it was that. Cabana does his Superman pin so close to that allows the question mark to hit the chop to the throat and then Steven sneaks in much to the crowd chagrin because he's done such a good job in such a short amount of time of being one of the biggest heels they've got on the roster so when you really think about that it was probably the right result to give him the title at this stage. Yeah I mean uh, Cabana sold the Mongrovian spike a lot better than Trevor Stevens did. <laughs> Sold it like he'd actually been shot in the throat. <laughs> yeah. 
and as you said, Stevens uh, then would roll in and ro- after being hit, was he hiding under the table that the Christmas tree was on that second time? I don't know. I think there was some sort of like cover underneath the tree. He was co- he was hiding underneath it, and he just poking his head out every now and then. Mm-hmm. And then, see, I think he's a good one to take that title forward. Do you think he'll continue feuding with any of these two, or do you think he'll move on to something else? I think it would be good to see him continue his feud with uh, Ricky Starks because he had you can bring up the fact that yeah, you might have beat me like those other times, like in the two FE Falls match, but I'm the one with the title because I've got the experience and now you've got Ricky Starks being the younger guy trying to get one of his first like major singles titles from Aaron Stevens. So I think we might wait that for a while because I think Starks is a part of the NWA TV title tournament, but I'm really hoping Stevens has got the national title. Let's get this question mark for the TV champion. Give that team all the gold. Mm. <laughs> and then well, beat the Rock and best of the tag titles. Well, on it, uh... One of the matches announced, the first two matches announced for the TV title tournament is Cabana versus the question mark. Which makes sense. So that's coming up on the next <laughs> edition of Power. So on the Chris, Christmas Eve edition. So that'll be interesting yeah. to see as well. As well yeah. as Ricky Starks versus uh, Eddie Kingston. Mm-hmm. That's a very unique looking match. And Cabana is definitely the kind of person who can make a match with someone like the question mark work because Cabana. Has been through all sorts in his career, like all sorts of things, like either serious or comedy style matches. So uh, a character kind of out there, like the question mark. I think Gabana is a guy to put him in a match with, and it will really create something special. Absolutely. Now, moving on now to the main event, it was the two out of three falls match for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, with the the champion, the National Treasure, Nick Aldis, defending against the Cowboy James Storm. Uh, just a reminder, the first fall of this match was refereed by uh, James Storm's choice of Brian Hebder. The second fall would be refereed by Nick Aldis's choice and Tim Storm. And then for the third fall, it was decided by a coin flip. Uh, Scott, this match, it went with the usual format you'll see of a two out of three falls match where the challenger or the heel, as Storm was presented in the lead up, uh, got the first fall thanks to this distraction by Camille. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was because uh, we've both been wondering for the past like few weeks what this whole thing with Camille actually is. Where is it going to go? And we're kind of teasing even more attention with you know because all the had said like she's not going to be here tonight. She's got the night off. I don't need any distractions. Then she comes out, and all the trying to tell her to like go to the back, and then he turns around to the super kick, which it gives all the quick like when I didn't think they they'd have the first fall end so like abruptly, but it was effective because. For the majority of the second fall, all this like still sold the effects of the super kick, which meant that Storm was on offense for a lot of it, which was a great way to tell the story of the match because then all had to find like his second wind. Because if he just came back a minute or so into the second fall and started throwing punches, it would have made the super kick look pointless. Like, well, if he can come back so quickly, why didn't you kick out the first time he hit you with the super kick? Yeah, I mean it was a, it was it was an interesting one for that one, and then. Aldous would go on to win the second fall by countering a schoolboy into a schoolboy of his own. I believe they said on commentary it was a throwback to one of his matches with Cody. Yeah, I think that's how he actually won the third fall in that match with Cody. So it was a bit of a throwback. It shows that Aldous is remembering what he, how he won two or three fall matches before and he's using that to help him this time. Mm. There was, there was, they made quite a lot of uh, references to his past matches with Cody as well. There was one point, was that? One of the, the uh, they did the pinfall type sequence that Cody won the title with it, 
all in as well. Yeah, I think Alders did kind of sit down pin that Cody used to win, but Ian Storm managed to get out of it. And also, like the Tim Storm throughout his one, the fall that he was refereeing, you know, he had that injury, like, what is Storm going to do? Like, because James Storm thought that he was going to, was worried that Alders had picked him because he thought he was going to try and, like, screw him over. And you're curious as to how this was going to go. Definitely. But then we got into the third fall, and the, the third fall, there was a lot more uh, moving parts going on into it. One of the ones, first of all, to mention was the result of the coin flip was that Brian Hebner, uh, James Storm's pick for referee, was going to be referee of the final fall. But mm-hmm. as we drew towards the closing stages of the match, uh, Nick Aldis inadvertently, as you'll probably say, but other, others may say otherwise, took out. Uh, Brian Hebner off the clothesline which meant that we got Tim Storm involved in the match this, as you said Scott helped add to that kind of intrigue of what Tim Storm was going to do because mm-hmm. we had that segment uh, that Ollie speaks back where I think it was episode 4 where you had Storm uh, getting taken aside by all the strength and everyone basically saying like be your own man and it kind of looked like all who's trying to get in Storm's here and almost like influence him so you weren't sure what all his intentions were because we've talked at the start of this like start of these reviews about how we weren't sure when this show started what all this was meant to be mm-hmm. and then that clothesline to Hebner for what a bump taken by Brian Hebner for not being a wrestler he sold like that that clothesline killed him and then it made sense for that Storm would get involved to kind of referee the rest of the fall and I think the uh, I really like the way the finish was like you had Stu Bennett crying like like Storm got screwed because all this seemingly accidentally took off the turnbuckle pads and then Storm gets sent into that and he gets basically knocked out so when he gets put in the cool wreath Tim Storm basically has to call it he just does the arm like drops the arm once and just says like that's it and yeah. then Storm in a post-match interview would say like on the YouTube would say like did you hear me give up like I've been screwed again oh, he, he sold that uh, turnbuckle spot very very effectively James Storm mm-hmm. it looked like he'd absolutely been knocked for six yeah and there were people who were kind of booing all this in his, pre- his post-match interview and I don't want to talk too much about Power like the post uh, into the fire episode of Power because we'll talk about that next time but I think when you see what happens on the next episode of Power I think it gives a lot of context to where they're going what these, why they made some of the decisions especially in this main event that they did and also some of the decisions we've get things we've kind of seen in the weeks of power before the pay per view because we've, we've always talked about we can't 100 percent tell what all this is where he's where he is what's his alignment you know yeah it's one that rare thing nowadays these kind of multi week story arcs and like the long term booking that you need basically you're forced to kind of wait and see each week to see what's going to happen next mm-hmm. definitely and uh, Nick Aldis picked up the win in the way that you said but that wasn't the end of the pay per view. Mm-hmm. As Aldis went to the podium to talk to Dave Marquez and address his victory, from mm. the from the ent- from the entrance of the crowd came a very surprise return to the NWA forefront of the villain Marty Scurll. Talk to me about this return because this was a shocker, given the <laughs> rumours of Marty Scurll where he was going to go next. Yeah, because I think. For me, I thought the people were just going to wait all this maybe in the ring holding up the title. But as soon as he went over the podium, I thought, okay, someone's going to confront him. They seemed like they were setting that up. It was a question to who. And then it didn't help if you were watching it. When I was watching it, you hear a guy after the first two like chords of Marty's theme, you hear one guy going, oh my God, it's Marty. 
before the actual theme song properly kicks in, like, way to go, mate. But I thought it was funny that he's, it was announced a week or so ago before this that his contract was up, but he was going to work a final battle without a contract just as a favourite of Ring of Honor, but he was kind of free to negotiate with wherever he wanted. It seems weird that the final battle was on the 13th, and then literally the very next day he's showing up in another company, so he doesn't waste much time, does Marty Scurll. But for me, the end of the way is probably the perfect place for him. I know some people will say, oh, he should be in All Elite with the other guys, with the Bucks and with Cody. But I think given all the story of him and all this at the Crockett Cup, they, they go back a long way when they were training. And they also Stu Bennett also talks about how he, his history with them, and the fact that kind of they had the match, but then it seemed like Marty probably should have won, and they were teasing a rematch at some point, and then all this said, I'll give you, I'll give a rematch, but I'll give it to any member of Villain Enterprises. And Marty has to choose, and they end up giving it to Brody King, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it feel like they still had some unfinished business. And I think like Marty had like two opportunities to be a world champion, and within a month he had the shot at Madison Square Garden. He didn't win, and then he had that shot against all this, and they didn't win that. So I think that they've got a history that they can tell in NWA. And I think this remember the time where Marty will finally win the world title because. I think people have been clamouring for it for a while now. So you don't think this is just a stopgap? You think he might be here for a prolonged period of time? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a chance he will be the one to take the title from. All that I've seen other people think he's going to just be here, do a couple of tapings and do a pay-per-view for like a one-and-done thing and then he'll go. But I don't think Marty would come to a company just to do a bit and then leave and go somewhere else. I think if he's going to go somewhere, he's going to go there for the long haul. So I think he's like, he wants like he knows he should be a world champion by now. So I think he's going to stay for the foreseeable future. Well, the thing is, we don't really know the full pay per view schedule of NWA following on for a hard time. So if they're going to go with a monthly format, then he could hold it for a couple, and then potentially end up somewhere either WWE or AEW after that one at all. The the prospect <laughs> that he could have the match at the pay-per-view, the Hard Times pay-per-view, which would then mean that come, there's too big an NXT pay, uh, takeover and an AEW pay-per-view in February. So <laughs> there's a realistic chance that he could do it for a one-timer, but as you say, he doesn't appear to be the type of guy who would just come in and then go straight away. Yeah, I just realised that January 24th is the next end of the review. Then the 25th, you've got bloody World Collide, and then the 26th, you've got the Rumble. So that's a busy weekend in January. Oh, definitely, it's going to be an absolute stacked weekend of wrestling, that particular one, you know. You never know, he could end up, um, he could do that pay-per-view and then end up in the Rumble. You never know, I mean, I'm sure there'll be some people putting a bet on it, but I wouldn't really, I wouldn't hold my breath on it. But, you know, I think Marty's still a young guy, I think he's, I think he may have just turned 30, if even that, so he's still a very young guy, so you think if he wants to stay in the NWA for maybe like two years, I think that'll he wins the title, he'll be able to get a decent reign in that time and then drop it down. And then if he wants to go to NXT or go to AEW, well, that's up to him. But I think the fact that they were telling the story with him and Nick this before, and then if he was, I think he left, don't know why he left Ringwater. I think it was a case of he didn't think they were going to give him the opportunity, he was going to go elsewhere. So I think he goes where he knows he's got history and he's got like unfinished business. Absolutely. So, all in all, what was how did you think the pay per view went? For a first pay per view, like in this kind of new era, the end of with the weekly TV or like the weekly show on YouTube, 
I think this is a really strong show. Like I said, like, other than the result of the in, of the Rockham Express retaining the tag titles, I really don't have anything else I could complain about because the presentation, you know, the slightly small scale of the, like, the studio with the really hot crowd, the music, and like the actual matches themselves, I don't really think I can complain because it was really great wrestling all around. The triple threat match I still maintain was my favourite match of the whole show because it didn't follow that traditional like triple threat thing where somebody comes in and then it's a, it's a two and two and then someone else comes in and it's two and two again. It was a case of Aaron Stevens getting beat up and then using stuff to his advantage like the question mark. So it felt a really interesting story. So it's definitely my favourite match of the show. Yeah. The main event being a close second. I, 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 would, I would have said the main event was my favourite one probably followed by the triple threat. I thought that the show started well. The middle mm-hmm. was kind of like a lot of the stuff in the middle was probably felt very power type mm-hmm. matchups, and then as we got to the final matches, they obviously built them up a lot more. So I still say it's a really a good pay per view. Say for the first one, I'll mm-hmm. be interested yeah. to see where the next one goes, especially if we get uh, Marty Skrull versus Nick Aldis. You never know. Yeah. We might Nick Aldis is in the tournament for the TV Championship, so. Mm-hmm. They might hold it off for a pay-per-view, which goes into your theory that uh, Skrull will be there for a while. Yeah, you know, you never know. Like It's one of those things, like, the good thing about Power is it's making you wait. You see where stories go. It makes, gives you a reason to tune in every week. And we talked about in the preview that how one or two of these matches kind of had this predictability around them. And I think that makes sense for kind of our first pay-per-view. But I think as they go on in a couple of months and they sell like more like stories and they bring more people in, we're going to like kind of lose some of that predictability, and I think we're going to get even better previews going forward. I'm just surprised that the next one is like seemingly so soon after this one. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's very close. It's like a less, just over a month. So, be interesting mm-hmm. to see how they pack so much into the next couple of weeks worth of tapings for NWA Power, which we will be reviewing here on the Patreon channel as part of our Power Trip show. So, if you have enjoyed this free review of Into the Fire, you can subscribe to the main Patreon channels for $4 or $6 a month for the extra level to hear our reviews of Power as part of the Power Trip, as well as so much other great content, such as four, Four-Way Fatal, Monday Night Rewind, The Raw Report, and so much more. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks to review episodes 10 and 11 of NWA Power. So from us, I would like to thank Scott McLeod, as always, for joining me. Thank you. And I've been Stephen Wilson, and we will see you in a couple of weeks for the next episode of the Power Triple Season. Karate.